Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this introductory episode of Your Own Personal Beatles, a new podcast about the Beatles with me, Jack Pelling. And me, Robin Allender. So in this introductory episode, we talk about our own personal Beatles um, and our introduction to the band, and we're just sort of getting to know each other a little bit. This was recorded back in the most intense section of lockdown on a very uh, hot day a couple of months ago, and we were kind of in two minds about whether to start with this one, but I think because it sets the tone for uh, the upcoming episodes, we thought we'll use this as an introduction, and you can listen to uh, the two of us sort of getting to grips with the idea of the show and getting to know each other a little bit better. Yeah, I think it, we covered a lot of ground in a way that was quite spontaneous and we were, we were thinking maybe we could try and re-record it but we probably wouldn't get those stories right the same way or something. <laughs> but uh, it was good. I think we yeah, we kind of discussed this great book that we're both reading, uh, Dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield, which has a lovely extract about the idea that the Beatles have kind of lived on in the lives of future generations and future fans of the Beatles and how they've kind of become a different beast since the 60s. And that's kind of what we wanted to focus on, which is kind of what the Beatles mean to people now and how the Beatles have a place in everyone's kind of lives, really. Mm. Um, and then there's also some more kind of light-hearted chat about beetle beards and beetle hair yeah. and um, some, some funny stuff. Uh, but yeah, but so instead of kicking off with some of our big celebrity names, we <laughs> thought we'd risk, uh, we'd risk introducing it with uh, our own sort of experience and just so we can we can all get to know each other a little bit better like on the first day of term so thank you for downloading the podcast you can subscribe on all good podcasting platforms now and we're also on social media at personal beatles on facebook and twitter and instagram if you want to get in touch with the show you can also email us and you will find all that information on personalbeatles.com so enjoy jack and robin's personal beatles hi robin how are you doing mate good how are you doing jack I am very hot, yeah, uh, but very well. Yeah, it's a hot day in lockdown. Um, I'm just in the in my bedroom, and um, so obviously all the windows are closed, and the video is on. I was gonna just do this just in my pants, but I think that might have been maybe too much, too distracting. Yeah, I think um, I was going to go down a similar route, but I thought probably too alarming even for an audio-only format. Yeah, indeed, the, the mental <laughs> image. Where are you, you look like you're in a nice kind of studio, or have you just got some nice shelving? Uh, I am not. I am in my dad's office right. in my uh, family home, which I've re- relocated to. So I'm sort of uh, surrounded by um, sort of, you know, tax returns and things that give me the heebie-jeebies <laughs> um, and printers that don't work nice. and the fax machine from uh, 1982. Are those... Um- they're box files behind you. I thought they were boxes of cereal. In it, like, but they are just no, no. They're they're much blander than that. They are the shredded wheat of uh, <laughs> of bureaucratic documents. Um, so yeah. yeah, unfortunately, not the most glamorous conditions. But um, 
This is uh, going to be a podcast about uh, a little-known four-piece from the north of England who uh, caused quite a stir in the 1960s. Uh, and we're going to just chat about the Beatles because we're both big fans. Mm. And um, I think there is, weirdly, a bit of a lack of Beatles podcasts out there. So um, considering we're two sort of, uh, you know, mid-30s sort of straight white men, we thought probably need to get another podcast under our belts because... <laughs> If lockdown has proved anything, that there aren't enough of us doing yeah, podcasts. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, when did you... I know you're a big Beatles fan, um, and, you know, we, we our paths have crossed a few times, but we don't know each other that well. Mm. But um, when did you sort of... What was your first kind of exposure to the Beatles? Um, for me, the first thing I remember was um, I had a videotape of the Yellow Submarine film, and I nice. used to really... So this was when I was really young, like still in junior school, and I used to watch that quite a lot. And I used to, it had a really big effect on me. I used to, do you remember the the scene where Ringo walks home to Eleanor Rigby, and there's a kind yeah, of looped yeah, yeah. footage of the kind of footballers and the cityscape and everything. Mm. I used to absolutely love that section. I just thought it was brilliant. I don't know why, <laughs> but yeah. it wasn't like so much that um, from the musical. Th- point of view i think it was the visual side that i really enjoyed and then it was um when i got very into music i was probably more like 13 and i got very into nirvana you know completely obsessed and then sort of felt a huge absence when kurt cobain died and it was around that time kind of 94 that my dad gave me a cassette which had sergeant pepper on one side and I think it was like the second half of the White Album on the other side. Cause nice. Do you remember that with cassettes? Exactly. It was like you'd often get, and it wasn't like a full album. You'd just like get the best of Dookie or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was like the second half of the White Album. And I just like, that. Was, it just filled that gap for me. I think I was just, part of me had just had enough of, I kind of still liked a lot of loud, heavy music, but I think I was just ready for something that was a bit gentler and maybe more more subtle than Nirvana or yeah. something. And there is obviously a big Beatles influence that runs through Nirvana, especially that, the, especially Bleach. Yeah. Uh, it, you can tell that he was a bit obsessed with it, and I know his sort of that even the recu- their production style was based on his sort of double tracking. Yeah, and, very Lennon-esque vocal yeah. style with on Nevermind and stuff, especially. But yeah, you can hit, definitely hear that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's. I think Yellow Submarine's a weird one because it tends to be people's a lot of people's starting point. Just because, I mean, my first song that I ever remember was Yellow Submarine because we used to sing it in nursery school. Yeah, yeah, which is quite bizarre, and it is a, quite a bizarre film and a bizarre record as well. It is because, really, yeah, what the actual Yellow Submarine album? Yeah, yeah. Because that's interesting. Because um, I um, I never really. I didn't really listen to the album much until this week, actually, because I just thought I'd better fill in a few gaps in my knowledge and stuff. But um, yeah, well, it's definitely the you know it's the weakest thing that they maybe I'd say help. But the soundtrack records are, are pretty thin on quality, and you can tell that they were quite like rushed along. But I Wait, think there are so some pre- crackers. Press pause and rewind. Do you mean um, <laughs> do you mean Help and Hard Days Night aren't? as good or you just kind of no no i don't think that i think you can definitely tell that they were written in a bit of a rush right. and there's a lot of filler on them yeah but I'd... there's great there's great songs on them yeah i like hard day's night and help actually i was um yeah but 
Yeah, Yellow Submarine was definitely... Well, that's the mad thing about Yellow Submarine, is that, wasn't it, they took a break from Sgt Pepper to record some of the songs from Yellow Submarine? And it was, they seemed to yeah, be, mul- all... be able to multitask at doing this incredible album and then kind of just pop into the studio to put out a couple of, you know... Yeah, record Hey Bulldog. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. And it sounds so rich and... Um, almost sounds like it was recorded quite a long time after the, I mean the chronology of them is funny in that period from sort of 66 to 68 yeah because I didn't have any context of like when they were released growing up and I had them all on vinyl and didn't really look at the copyright to see right. and I always assumed that because of the way that they sound that Yellow Submarine was much later and that the White Album was much earlier because oh, that's the White Album is quite it sounds quite sort of thin um, and I've never really liked the way it sounds. Wow. Which is a, a different um, topic altogether. But until they re-released it um, last year. Okay. Um, and they d- they've done a whole complete sort of digital remaster that Giles Martin did. Yes. And it sounds like a new record and like the record I always wanted it to sound okay. like. The so bass. Are, you, are you listening to it now as the mono version? or the like No, so th- this is, it's com- I mean, they've modernised it and they've actually taken quite a lot of liberties with it. Mm. Um, and I know a lot of people who think it's quite sort of sacrilege to right. play around with George Martin's yeah, mixes. But I haven't listened to the White Album remasters, but I did listen to the Pepper ones that Charles Martin did, and I thought they were absolutely superb. But yeah, he did take amazing. liberties with it, which, but you know, I think if anyone can, he can kind of. But. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think there's stuff, especially a lot of it was kind of, I suppose it's the sort of George Lucas argument, isn't it? But there was lots of things that just weren't sort of technically doable. Mm. And also, I've never really, as, as iconic as the Hofner violin bass is, I've never really liked the sound of it. Yeah. And I don't think it, like, especially in those early half of the Beatles output, right. I've never been that into because um, I love his bass playing so much and it just doesn't really shine until you get into the later Certainly the later ones, yeah, probably. with Abbey Road. His bass, the bass sounds incredible on Abbey Road. I can t- t- talking about the chronology. I remember one thing that used to really confuse me when I was just getting through all the Beatles albums was how did their hair grow so quickly? Do you ever do you ever think yes, about that? Yes, and the, well, I think about the beards more. The beards, yeah. So if we look uh, at Sergeant Pepper, that- sixty-seven, very short Edwardian-style <laughs> haircuts on John there. Yeah, John had a very short haircut in Sergeant Pepper. I'm I'm correct in saying that, aren't I? Uh, yeah, yeah. The next year is 68. And in Magical Mystery Tour, in the film, he's got short hair. Yeah. Which is, which is what, Christmas 67? Yeah, that would be about 68, right. 68, yeah. the White Album. 69, Abbey Road. His hair is almost down to his knees. How did that yeah. happen? Hair grows down to his knees. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think that, because um, when you watch it in the sort of anthology, there's sort they of breaks where there's no of his hair footage of them. <laughs> well, no, there's no, but there's no footage of, um, of, of them for a while. And then you see them sort of walking back into the studio. So do you think and when I they can were in... That taking heroin and LSD must be really good for hair growth. Yeah, it must be. When, when they were in India, so you think when they went to India, that's when they really let, let their hair down, so to speak, and the hair grew. 
I think in more ways than one, yeah. I mean, everyone, it does grow longer in the sunshine. But that, especially George Harrison when he comes back for those sessions where he's got a huge beard and his hair yeah. is what really, kind of really long. Let it be sessions kind of vibe. Or... Um, well, yeah, the sort of Teddington studio right. ones, yeah. Yeah, I mean, George's hair, um, that's another... I mean, his hair was already quite long in 67, <laughs> 67 <laughs> though. But, but yeah... The, that's true. Yeah, anyway, yeah. But I don't know if you ever tried growing a big beard, because I have. I, um, I can't really grow a big beard. Uh, but you've got a beard. I have got a beard, but um, I'm I uh, re- re- try and stop um, when it gets about this this length that you can see to the fascinating stuff for the listeners. <laughs> it's about seven millimeters. <laughs> but uh, I can't. I mine just grows beneath the chin, and I guess get a kind of I'd, I'd call it a kind of puby mass on the cheeks. So a it's, bit like Ringo's beard. Ringo, yeah, it's not. It's yeah. not very appealing. It no matter how long I've left it, it sort of still doesn't look like um, it looked like a real beard. It still looks yeah. like a pretend beard. I mean, beards do take a bit of perseverance. Yeah, um, and you have to get through a lot of itchiness and uncomfort and uh, straggly bits. Yeah. But um, do you have, what's your favourite, that's a good question actually, what's your favourite beetle beard? Beetle beard. Um, I think Paul had a lovely beard actually, didn't he? Uh, yeah, post- I've always wondered why, I suppose he's got such like cheeky little cheeks. Yes, yeah. It's a shame to cover them up, is, but yeah. he definitely in the um, Let It Be sessions had a lovely little beard. He did. <laughs> I was going to, he had a lovely, so I was going um, to read a little bit from uh, Dreaming the Beatles by Rob Sheffield. Please do, I'd love um, Because I thought this is a good, my, you know, a good starting point for kind of what we're trying to do. Because, like, you know, you're saying there are quite a few, there are Beatles podcasts out and about there. There's the Egg Pod and other ones. But, mm-hmm. you know, we both were thinking there is this kind of thought, well, everything's been said about the Beatles. But then again, they still mean a lot to everyone and everyone's discovering them all the time. Each generation discovers them for their yeah. own. And there's not even a podcast about their hair and beards. No, exactly. So, yeah, which is mental. Um, <laughs> but um, so that's what Dreaming the Beatles is kind of about. It's, about, it's a kind of about the, the afterlife of the Beatles. So I thought this was a really lovely mm. bit and it's kind of would be, I think it's a good kind of way of describing, I guess, what we were chatting about. Um, when we first spoke about doing this. So um, Rob Sheffield says, there's your public Beatles. You'll probably encounter their music somewhere in the next week, the supermarket or the laundromat or the car radio or a stranger's T-shirt. There's also your private Beatles. (laughs) Your private Beatles. Sounds quite funny, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, that's what I call my private. (laughs) (laughs) The song you love that isn't a hit, the classic you hate, the B-side nobody appreciates the way you do, People get fiercely protective about their personal Beatles. How can we keep hearing our own secrets in these songs? How can they be the world's most passionately beloved band, yet still weirdly underrated? And how is there so much life in this music? Oh, untimely life. And he kind of quotes a little bit. That's amazing. Yeah, which is the... What, that's such a good little prologue. Is that the introduction? It's in the first kind of... first. First chapter, I think, yeah, an introductory chapter. But it's I can heartily recommend it. It's good. But that's a great idea, I think, is this idea of the personal Beatles. And, um, you know, we've all got our own... They all mean something to us in different ways, I guess. So have you, have you done your, your introduction to the Beatles? Describe your personal Beatles. I mean, apart from... Um Apart from sort of learning Yellow Submarine at the age of four in nursery school, mm. 
It's records that my parents had, which I think for a lot of people of my generation is, I mean, my parents are um, not the most sort of, my dad's a big jazz fan mm. and he grew up in the sort of 1950s. So he's just a little bit too young for like full on Beatlemania right. teenage years, yeah. but he, he did see them in 1963 um, when they were touring with Helen Shapiro, which was the first tour that they did that he saw them at Colston Hall. Um, wow, that's incredible. God, oh, that's yeah. uh, well. My dad was. My dad sounds a similar age. Um, he was also he was also a big jazz fan, and he kind of and got. Is he a Bristolian? Well, as well, he went to Bristol University, and he was oh, going right. to get a tic- ticket to see them at Colston Hall, but he saw the queue and thought, "Oh no, I can't be bothered." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's um, that's a mad link. Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. My dad was inside. Because he was very much there to see Helen Shapiro, who, right. if people aren't familiar with her, was like um, a very popular in 1962, 1963. Um, and that he, he was never a big Beatles fan, but he did remember them being absolutely phenomenal and the reaction to them being incredible, wow. which from my dad, who um, has a similar attitude to the Beatles as uh, James Bond in Goldfinger when he says... Um, Drinking warm Bollinger 53 is like listening to the Beatles without earmuffs. <laughs> um, <laughs> classic Connery. Um, <laughs> but gave the bad impression. But yeah, that was kind of no, my dad's thing. Good. He was much more of a traditional like Duke Ellington sort of thing. But they still had all the records and my mum was into a lot of, I mean, pretty pretty horrible stuff um but in that there were a few gems within the sort of grease soundtrack and robert palmer records oh, okay. of uh not that we like rob bashing robert palmer he's there's some good stuff out there um but yeah they had, but that's um, interesting because my yeah they had them all littered. my dad was a kind of was he got into a lot of the he was he was big into jazz and classical but then he he was into the 60s stuff and beatles and stones and one or two other things from that and and dylan and things like that but my dad's thing was it was almost a, a bit later than your dad because it, when it got to the 70s, he always said the 70s was the record where he didn't buy any new records or something. Really? So, Pick, like, Bowie, Punk yeah. was just... Pick the wrong decade he just, to do that. <laughs> yeah, he just absolutely did not understand Bowie, did yeah. not understand Punk. Um, yeah, it was just gross to him. It's a weird one, isn't it? Because you think, I mean, I'm so yeah. jealous of my dad growing up at that time and being the perfect age to, you know pop down to the Isle of Wight to see Jimi Hendrix or something, but he was yeah. more interested in I think he was he was seen his music taste was incredibly uncool, but like me, he was a bit sort of defiantly um, you know, anti the zeitgeist in you know, in the same way that yeah. you know, you'll be recommended something that everyone's watching and you refuse to watch it because you're stu- stubborn well, yeah. old git like I am. <laughs> yeah, but that isn't actually I'm sure that, that attitude is I mean we have this idea, don't we, of the like golden era of the of the 60s but for most people it, it it you know it wasn't like that at all really i mean for the majority of people i mean like you know the whole thing with engelbert humperdinck <laughs> yeah please release me would beat Sarge, uh, strawberry fields yeah, penny yeah. lane to number one and it's what well, you know that wasn't a huge upset because that was what most people were listening to oh yeah you know? yeah it wasn't it's not and that's not necessarily a bad thing there was just a lot of pop music and light music i suppose you might call it like kind of a light entertainment style yeah i mean i think and there was just that was huge yeah sort of radio one didn't really even exist until the sort of late 60s so there were only sort of illicit mm. ways you know i think they you know they had luxembourg fm and stuff but i suppose because yeah. you're so used to seeing sort of montages of carnaby street soundtrack to you know 
Penny Lane or whatever that you think that that was yeah. in the public consciousness. But yeah, it was probably was. Yeah, you're completely right. It was more sort of uh, how much is that doggy in the window and stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, which is kind of mad. But you know that that was my sort of upbringing of it, and then. I think, I mean, I, I know you're a mu- musician as well, but I, I've sort of, all of my kind of formative relationships are completely based around music. So um, it was then something that I shared with everyone else. And then I got to know all the records. I think getting a car was, was uh, at sort of 16, 17 was quite a fundamental changing point because people had loads of tapes of records that I'd never yeah. heard. So I never really heard Revolver until I was about 17. So that okay, was pretty yeah. incredible. Um, so I kind of went backwards, really. I grew up on Abbey Road and Sergeant Pepper, um, and then I kind of worked backwards as I got older. Right. Yeah, I just, um, I guess, I, I suppose because my parents separated, and so it was whenever I went round to Dad's house, I'd come back with another Beatles album, or he'd give me another tape of a Beatles album, and I'd gradually piece them all together like that. And that was how I did it. So it was quite random. I think, like, I'd get the Red Album and then, like, Abbey Road and then, yeah. like, you know, Rubber Soul and then the White Album or whatever, you yeah, know. Yeah. It was all just, you know, an amalgamated in my mind. But weirdly, I, I still, after all this time, have blind spots. It's like I was chatting to John about this because, you know, John, my friend John Robbins, mm. who, as, as you know, is an enormous Queen fan. Yeah. He was completely obsessed with Queen, but for some reason he ne- he he always he always just leaves like two albums he doesn't get when he's <laughs> obsessed with an artist or something. So he like got really into Zappa, but then he didn't quite complete the collection or something like that. Yeah. You know? So I was a bit like that with Beatles, the Beatles. Like I still to this day, Let It Be is like a huge blind spot. I've never got into the album. And, yeah. But I haven't watched the film. I've listened to it, but it's just not one of my. It's a weird one oh, because it is a bit of an afterthought in, and it was, you know, released, like they held back the release because they weren't happy with it. And then we had the, you know, horrible naked sessions and it's such a fractious record. Mm. But it's sort of, I was yeah. quite interested to sit, like read the other day about how sort of critically maligned it was for a really long time. But actually there's mm. great stuff on there. Like really, really great. Yeah. I mean, I love things like Dig a Pony and... Um, What's the other really great song on that? I've got a feeling is amazing, and then mm. you, but it, it, and the singles and are great. Long I mean, winding road and let it be, yeah. yeah. Um, but it does sound and across the universe, right? Is on let it be. Is it? Uh, is that that kind of... is on let it be, yeah. And I love Billy Preston's mm. organ playing um, and yeah. everything that he does, and you know, it's sort of the folkloric thing that he was the one who sort of kept them from killing each other in the room. But yeah, it does yeah. sound like quite a sad record. Um, mm. because you can tell that they're sort of off on their own and, you know, everything is so kind of... But they, the ethos of it was that they played everything in the room like the old days and they sort of yeah. gave up with the sort of, you know, people coming. So they were kind of... They forced it out and it does sound a little bit like that, but there is there's yeah. amazing stuff on it. And they can't wait to see the Peter Jackson thing that's gonna that's coming quite soon. Oh, that's yeah. going to be amazing. Um, that looks really good. So if you haven't heard that imaginary listener, that is uh, <laughs> Peter Jackson is, uh, still there, is doing like to doing what he did with the First World War to uh, let it be, which was a slightly smaller but no less intense conflict of those uh, yeah. the aborted documentary movie that they made about it. I thought you were going to say he's, he's doing what he did to The Hobbit, <laughs> to The Beatles, as yeah. in like just turning... He's, he's turning into a six-hour CGI-laden <laughs> snore fest. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, no, that would that would be incredible to see. Yeah, that's going to be amazing because um, there's so much. Have, have yeah. you, you've said you've not seen the film. No, yeah. no. I think you can only really no, find it on like YouTube and stuff. But there's some really sweet stuff in there. Um, there's lots of stuff with like George and Ringo writing together, which is really nice. And sort of George sort of teaching him how to play the piano and hit a note beyond his like four note range. Um, right. And so they sort of taking care of each other a bit, and it's uh, it's really nice. See that last bit after you've done that bit. But I was going to ask you, what's your most controversial Beatles opinion? Uh, my most. Because this is quite a good one. one. Because you know, like, do you have one which you kind of show off with about you know, like, like that's that's just, that's the kind of thing. Yeah. You know, kind of Sergeant Pepper isn't actually that good kind of vibe. You know, do, I do, do you have a real have, one um, which is cool to kind of show off? About? Well, I do think that John Lennon. Uh, I don't really understand the sort of deification of John Lennon. I think he's actually a pretty nasty person. Right, um, yeah. That's, and for massive Beatles fans... I'd say that's not... That's, not, that's a bit controversial. Um, it is a bit controversial. If, But, I mean, you, you don't need to look very far to find that you're completely 100% accurate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, but that's sort of what makes him so fascinating as well. Um, I mean, there are stuff. Yeah. I do. I think probably my one that a lot of it depends which ones you love the most. But I would maintain that the White Album should be a single record, and they should have got rid of half of it. And if it hadn't been a double album, and they'd got rid of all the shit on it, like Piggies and uh, Revolution Number no. Nine, and as sort of culturally important as they are, historiography, like musicology wise. Um, I, just, I think that album would be up there with the late masterpieces if they hadn't been like too, you know, arguing too much about what track goes where and how many songs to get on the record and stuff. Um, I disagree because I, the White Album is probably my favourite and I think it kind of needs to be that length because you can kind of get lost in it. It's got little spooky corners. It's like a big uh, abandoned house with loads of different rooms <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and like, some you never you know, go into it needs that <laughs> yeah exactly you know i don't listen to wild honey pie but, but it sort of needs to be there do you not skip honestly and can I, you I think, say that you don't skip it if you're listening to it on vinyl or um all the way through i i i wouldn't i i it's very rare that i'd listen to the entire thing all the way through yeah, because that's it's that, too is, long. that is long. <laughs> yeah, but I I will listen to the first album or the you know the first two sides as it were. Yeah, as it, I I always thought think of it as two albums basically. Yeah, because it, that that was how I heard it as a double CD. But um, yeah, I kind of I can list, I will listen to one or the other of those like as in starting from birthday and that's kind of the second one for me. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, but is like, it not? Because you know, I have it on vinyl, and I only ever really tend to pull out the disc that starts with um, "Martha, My Dear." So that must be yeah. side two of the, the of the second record, right? So on the vinyl, is it four records? Uh, yeah, it'll be four. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but you got "Martha, My Dear," you got "Sexy Sadie," "Blackbird," Blackbird. 
Mother Nature's Son. Yeah, that's great. Your Blues is great. Uh, There's uh, everybody's got something to well, hide. Guitar, Jelly Weeps. We're just naming songs. <laughs> My guitar, Jelly yeah. Weeps. But yeah. You also have Piggies, Bill. Revolution Number Nine, Honey Pie. What is Piggies? Just like I don't mind Piggies, but is it because of the Manson association that it's a bit? I just think it's horrible to listen to. <laughs> I think the Beatles. When I get sort of into, um, you know, there, there's so much humour in the music, but when it gets to be a bit sort of twee. Um, mm. no, they're, they're, that's the side of it that I hate and also I do find much as I love George he's so bitter um, mm. and songs like Piggies I do find a bit like oh come on mate it's a bit like the tax man thing it's just like just get over it man <laughs> wait a second hang on I just thought that song was about pigs well no it's Is about it, sort of what? like corporate um, it's about you know oh, right <laughs> I just purely understood it on yeah. a very literal George level Harrison. that this was that was a song pigs. about pigs. Um, it's uh, all the you know little the little piggies. piggies in their starched white shirts and you know oh, all of that course. sort of thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. about the Alan Klein, just you know, Apple it's about the man, stuff. right? Um, yeah, and so, but it's but it's um, you know he really didn't. Um, he, he sugarcoat his metaphors in a way that I suppose it's not really yeah. a criticism. Unlike Savoy Truffle. Yeah, exactly. Um, but um, I mean, I my reason for finding that queasy is just to do with the Sharon Tate murders. Yeah, exactly. They wrote, you know, and it went is, on to have a um, yeah a pretty grisly afterlife. Yeah, uh, but I I don't mind piggies. I mean, I will. I can't. You know, I I wouldn't. I would. I did used to like I, I like Revolution Number no. Nine. I will listen to it. Mm. It's um, can't, someone. It might be Ian McDonald described it as you know the the most the piece a piece of the piece of avant garde music that is owned by the most people, which is yeah, a, quite a nice be. way yeah. of putting it. And also with you know you need Revolution Nine because of the sequence of the album. Like, I think it sounds so nice. It kind of comes in, it's quite spooky. What's it in between? And Do you know, if, can you remember? Does it come in bet- uh, is it, um, it comes in after the, can you take me back where oh, yeah. I came from? You know, which is really good. That's straight and, um, off something like Ram, that song I always think. Yeah. And, and then it goes into uh, Cry Baby Cry, oh, which, which is, is amazing. Yeah. And that was, oh no, Cry Baby Cry, um, and then it goes into the little "Can you take me back?" And then it's Revolution Nine. Then it's Good Night. Yeah, but Good you Night kind of is another one th- I could uh, quite happily lose. Yeah, I don't mind Good Night. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you gotta but, gotta um, have a Ringo, haven't you? It just, yeah, it just sort of needs to be there. I tell you what, I don't like is the Ringo song "Don't Pass Me By." I mean, that is that shit. Is, I was actually thinking one of my talking <laughs> points was what is the worst song that the Beatles ever recorded, and that that would be mine. That is, and there's, I think there was a podcast I was listening to somewhere. I think it was David Quantic on Rule of Three talking about the Ruttles. Yeah, well, that's exactly what I, I was going to say. Barry Wom's version yeah, of uh, the the one that <laughs> yeah. is thinly disguised. Yeah, which is great. But the but David Quantic makes the point that Don't Pass Me By is four minutes long. It's like four and a half minutes oh long. My God, it's just it? so long. You know, the Beatles didn't write a song over three minutes until nineteen sixty end of nineteen sixty four. I think. Oh, that's a lovely yeah. fact. Um, oh, so definitely four and four, four, four. You know that that's twice yeah. as long as "Love Me Do." <laughs> I, I, so I was going to. I'm going to quickly do my controversial Please opinion, do. Yeah, which yeah, is that I don't. And this can kind of seek into what's the worst song. Yeah. But um, I'm not a huge fan of Rubber Soul. 
as Interesting. I kind of agree with you there. I think it's always... Because people always clump it together with Revolver, which I think is a far yeah. superior record. Absolutely, yeah. I'm, a, I'm in total agreement I with think you. because they were. I don't think Robert time. sold it. Well, there's, or, there's uh, a bit of time, but Robert released in the, you know, so quickly after each other. Yeah, quite quickly, yeah. But the cliche Robert is, Soul, uh, yeah, they could be one record. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, like I think Harrison says that on the anthology somewhere, mm. you could listen to them back to back, but it's just absolutely not the case. Like, you know, Dr. Robert on Revolver sounds like it could be on Robert Soul. Yeah. And maybe, like, Norwegian Wood, something could be on Revolver, maybe. Yeah, yeah, I think but, you could uh, those two around. Girl is the, the is the track that I always think could be on Revolver as well. Yeah, I, Girl is good. Drive My Car is good. And you can hear the production is getting better and crisper and, like, Drive My Car is really good. And uh, Nowhere Man. Mm. And In My Life, of course. Yeah. You know, is, is, you yeah. know, I'm not slagging those incredible songs. Yeah. But it's got What Goes On yeah. on there, which is the one which is like Ringo's... I don't mean this to be a... We're slagging off Ringo at all, by the way. Yeah, I mean, it's kind but of part what goes of the Beatles podcast, isn't it? Yeah, but... I, I love I, I mean... Lovely man. I love Ringo, yeah. I mean, what goes on is... is the, is the, starts the, is the first song on the second side, I think. Mm. And it's Ringo's actual first writing credit, isn't it? Because it's a Lennon-McCartney-Starkey yeah. Yeah, song. Yeah, yeah. And it is, so, you know, it's just a country pastiche. It's not too bad. But it, I just think it's... It's a bit. It is. It actually is quite yeah, bad. No, it is. It definitely sounds like it's one of. I think all of his songs sound like they took longer to record than they did to write. Yeah. Um, There's a great. I mean, one of the lyrics is, "I met you in the morning, waiting for the tides of time." <laughs> God, that's that's what um, it is, isn't it? Yeah, which Ian McDonald says, like, "Tides of time" is like he's trying to be a bit Dylan esque. But I met you in the morning. Yeah. It's quite. <laughs> Yeah. Maybe in the <laughs> it's morning. It's not much. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is, um, but well, I think yeah. that it's a, that's um, that whole record is the most Dylan influenced, and definitely really yeah. goes in, especially Lennon's writing because he well, he was such a like you know hip faddy person. You can sort of spot mm. his um, times when he's like super obsessive. Norwegian Wood is pure Bob Dylan. Yeah, but it's funny. I mean, they were they. Uh, I mean, much as I love this era of Dylan, I st- you know, I I love what, what kind of we're talking like blonde on blonde era. I think I it's guess, more the, the for for them for George. I think George got into him first, and it was just after mm. Another Side had come out. So the the okay, irony yeah. was that the Beatles were influenced by Dylan and went down a more acoustic direction, while the, the same right, thing yeah. was happening with Dylan, and he went into bringing it back all back home after hearing mm. I think. It might have been Robert Soul. So at the same time, they were sort of okay. crossing paths in opposite directions. Yeah. And that's another reason where it's like that Dylan stuff going electric is so amazing. And that's, for me, better than Rubber Soul. Yeah. And then also Rubber Soul was the kind of catalyst for Pet Sounds. Yeah. And Pet Sounds is like by far the superior album, yeah. I think. And then Smile was going to be, obviously, this is, you know, stuff that's been going over a hundred times, but like Smile was going to be the answer to revolver but during the making of smile brian wilson heard sergeant pepper and you know that was too much yeah but uh is that one of those is that an apocryphal story because i've never yeah i think it is pure (laughs) it is a bit apocryphal but yeah (laughs) because i've heard so many people sort of talk about that moment and um him 
pulling over the car, hearing Norwegian wood and being like, I'm going straight to the studio to record a new record. Yeah. Is that pretty sure that's not how recording records work? No, <laughs> yeah. Um, so for me, like Rubber Soul is obviously these touchstones in the kind of folk rock thing and then in the kind of chamber pop thing. Yeah. But Rubber Soul on its own doesn't stand up against those things for me. That's like, that's, so that's my yeah, issue I kind with of, Rubber Soul. I kind and of also agree. Rubber Soul has... Rubber Soul has Run For Your Life on it, which is just so dreadful. Yeah. The John Lennon song yeah, yeah. about... And it's a bit, yeah, yeah that's um, definitely before his uh, sort of feministic awakenings. Yeah. he. I think he actually made the point of disowning that songs and saying it was misogynistic. What was and it? Stuff Catch You With a, Another Man, That's the End, Little Girl. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather see you dead with a, oh, yeah. than with Fuck, another man. It's really bad, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> oh dear. So yeah, I think it's an album of of moments that sort of indicate yeah. what is going to come on Revolver, and that sort of the sort of baroque uh, George Martin piano solo in in my life and stuff is obviously yeah. then playing around with techniques that would then like you can see they're sort of getting used to the studio and making themselves comfortable in that way. So yeah, I think you're. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's definitely a. Um, it, it sounds like a precursor to Revolver. 
or kind of flare thing. Yeah. The, well, they should have the they should have thought about that before they did it because right before it, they turned it into a jigsaw. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, it's also a, not a surprise that that's where they stopped making the Beatles jigsaws. <laughs> <laughs> Babies in Black is on I Beatles love sale, that which is good yeah in turn because um, I'm a so I am a singer so those sort of uh, that McCartney era and stuff on his voice on that record for someone so young um, especially mm. on Kansas City Hey 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 um, which was you know they did re- they live for basically the whole thing but his voice is just nuts yeah, McCartney's voice is incredible. And I don't think he gets enough the, credit uh, for it, really. Yeah, the kind of screaming he can do as well. Or something like, Oh Darling or something, like right at the end. Yeah. His voice is amazing. Oh Darling is my yeah. uh, embarrassing drunken party piece. Oh, really? Yeah, if I've had about eight pints, then um, it's pretty the inevitable at a house party that I used to get out uh, Oh Darling. I'll get out the guitar Scream as well. At the tongue of my lungs. Oh, no! Jesus. I'd usually uh, kind of pod. No, I've been uh, just sing along to the just record. Sing along to the record, yeah. Wow, <laughs> kind of puddle of mud style, just <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, wow. if we, I just, I'd need to get. I mean, Ringo's Ringo's drumming on "Oh Darling" is, I think, his finest drumming. Yeah, it's absolutely yeah, brilliant. I think he's incredible on that. absolutely brilliant did you ever play the uh, video game Beatles Rock Band no no I didn't I never got into that, that, um, that those kind of is this kind of like the um, guitar thing yeah but it had you... it came with a drum kit um, and if you put it on expert level you could play mm. it pretty much sort of in, in the way that it is played um, by hitting right. sort of yellow every the toms are different colours and the snares are different colour and you have to sort of hit all the different yeah. things. And, uh, yeah, I've got a newfound respect for Ringo's drumming after loads of drunken yeah. nights of Beatles rock band. His drumming is amazing. I don't know whether that kind of... Uh, that I mean, this is an old... This is a very hackneyed yeah, stuff, isn't yeah. it? Talking about Ringo as a drummer. But, you know, I, I think he's he's brilliant. But he is, yeah. He's I was chatting a- to... I've got... Because um, I'm back in the sort of village where I grew up and uh, there's a guy down the road who used to be the drummer in Jethro Tull. Um, oh, nice. And I was chatting to him uh, about Ringo and uh, and he's... An, you know, he's... Jethro Tull, obviously, massively virtuosic 10-minute drum solos and yeah. technically... I think John Bonham said that uh, this guy was the best rock drummer he'd ever seen. Uh, so he's pretty... He's very oh. good at the drums. Um, but yeah. the, the way that he talks about uh, Ringo's drumming is just unbelievable. Yeah, he's so so influential. Cool. He's a, a drummer's drummer. Um, it's yeah. just a shame that they let him sing a song on every record. <laughs> well, you know, I didn't. I, yeah, you need, but you need that though. You need the you need to beat the ring. Yeah, song, I mean, I wonder you? when that decision was made because it certainly seems like there must have been a record where, like, this record's really good. Do we have to give him <laughs> some? <laughs> but then, with you know, with a little help from my friends, there's a lot. I just. That couldn't be anyone else singing it. That's true. And I like Ringo singing uh, it. Octopus's Garden as well. It's, I think they probably just upped the quality of the songs they gave him. <laughs> yeah, well, Ringo wrote Octopus's Garden, didn't he? I mean... Did he actually? That is... Yeah, that's his... Uh, uh, you know, Don't Pass Me By and Octopus's Garden, mm. the two Beatles songs he wrote. Well, in, in but, the um, um, documentary that we mentioned earlier, you can see um, George Harrison writing it with him on the piano and showing him the chord. Oh, cool. So I assume well, that's one thing is that, that actually he didn't have that much to do with it. 
<laughs> yeah. My friend always finds it funny that in Octopus's Garden, there's the line about no one there to tell me what to do, <laughs> which, is such, which is, yeah. reminds me of Alan Partridge with the traffic cone, you know, Michael. Yeah. Stop telling me what to do. That kind of King Road thing. Um, um, King Road. Yeah. And also, uh, who's uh, telling yeah. you what to do, Ringo? Yeah, I know. You're in the Beatles, the octopus? mate. Octopus. Oh, wait. Uh, yeah, Maureen. Possibly. Also, John Lennon plays really nice guitar on Octopus's Garden. Yeah, like, his guitar great. playing on that's amazing. It's a great yeah. sounding record, and that's it's a, that is the perfect. I mean, it, as you're saying, you do need them, and that's the perfect like a bit of respite that you need. Um, yeah just before that monumental B-side. Do you have a favourite Beatle? That's the most (laughs) Route 1 question. Route 1, yeah. It was like, it was... George for a long well it was George for a long time because I think I just got really into when I was getting those albums from my dad and stuff I would just try and find the George song and and going through the b-sides as well because my dad had a lot of the seven inches and obviously there are a lot of non-album singles mm. so I really loved one called the inner light yeah, which yeah. Is, I think is the b-side to Lady Madonna which is such a good song is that the and, one uh, that's me and quite, my brother, is that a very sort of Indian inflected one in one of George's. It's got an Indian thing. It's also got mandolin on it. It sounds very like the Incredible String Band or something yes. like that. It's got a kind of almost, yeah, quite strange folky thing. I really like that song. And um, yeah, I think well, me and my brother got really into Blue Jay Way and the Magical Mystery Tour. Just we used to love that song. You know, it's such a, it felt so ahead of its time and it was really trippy and really you know, just zoning out to it. It was such a cool song. Mm. And uh, yeah, I just loved kind of all Harrison stuff and like going all the way back even to like It Don't Bother Me on, on the... Really? On, um, you like that? With the Beatles. Yeah, that's a really I good I think that would be a contender for one of my worst Beatles songs. I'm a, yeah. Really? Wow, I think that's good. And um, yeah, it was just the kind of my way into it. It was like I just sort of... I loved... I, apps, I mean, my favourite Beatles song is Long, Long, Long from the White oh, Album. Oh, nice. Which I just think is just so beautiful mm. and so interesting dynamically. It's so quiet. Yeah, it's unbelievably quiet that song, and um, and it's just got incredible dynamism to it. It's like a kind of talk talk song yeah, yeah. or something, um, and it's just very very just beautiful song. And that's George. I always um, thought that was John's song. Yeah, no, ah. that's a George song. Um, yeah, so it was always George, but then it was kind of like, I, you know, I just got very into John and John's solo career and, you know, I love... But yeah, I think I was always kind of preferred John's to Paul's stuff. But then as I've got older, I'd probably prefer prefer Paul now. Yeah. Because he was... Because I, I don't know. I'm, I am, as you can tell from my uh, soft spot for Queen, uh, you could probably guess that I'm a, I'm a Paul man. Right, um, yeah. And yeah, I don't mind a but, bit of I cheese. Think, yeah, no, but that's... That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, Paul definitely is the one of choice for the kind of the studio nerd, the kind of musicy nerdy kind of thing. I'm not saying yeah. that's kind of you, but do you know that kind of I know exactly what you mean. For the in, if you're in terms, I mean I I'm a music, you know, I did music as a degree and stuff, so I'm very interested mm. in how naturally sort of composition came to him. And um, oh, yeah. there's an amazing bit in the. I know you've read the Ian McDonald book, but um, there's a bit because mm. I was rereading the introduction the other day, and he just absolutely nails 
the uh, the John Paul thing in a paragraph that um, I can't really see it well there. It says, in a less narrowly structured sense, the two represent the classic clash between truth and beauty, seeing music as a vehicle of thought and feeling. Lennon stressed expression at the expense of formal elegance, which he held no, uh, which he had, which held no interest for him or value per se. Intuitive, he cared little for technique and nothing for the rules, which he would go out of his way to break. As a result, while sometimes obsessive and crabbed, his music rarely betrays itself and hardly ever strays unintentionally into bad taste. On the other hand, McCartney, by nature drawn to music's formal aspects yet wholly untutored, produced technically finished work almost entirely by instinct, his harmonic judgment based mainly on perfect pitch and acute set of ears. However, while his music... at its best, is the very opposite of inexpressive. He could, entranced by his own fluency, all too easily be distracted from meaning, producing glib pettiness, vapid exercises in style, and excruciating yeah. lapses of taste. <laughs> That's Which brilliant. Is, I quite like the way I thought you said acute set of ears as well. Uh, he a, does acute, have a cute set of ears. But- he yeah, has a cute set of ears. But that's that's brilliantly put. I, I love that. Yeah, yeah. another th- interesting... Like, my friend... I think it was my friend Alex pointed out a thing to do with the, that uh, Beefheart is a bit Lennon and Zappa is a bit Paul. Yeah. Which I thought was quite good. Because that's a, another two school friends. Extraordinary to think... Well, actually, John and Paul weren't at school together, were uh, they? But no, but yeah. Yeah. But, I um, mean, of a similar age, mm. they met at a similar age. And I think that's another kind of interesting way of looking at them, where Beefheart, there's the more kind of... Yeah, it's it's more about soul. Yeah, it's more effortless, I suppose. definitely. Yeah, and with Zappa, it's kind of... it's Zappa at his worst is completely and utterly awful. And, like, <laughs> <laughs> and it's just too much technicality, yeah. isn't it? You know, and he does. And, he's also know. not, you know, not afraid to be sort of quite uncool. Whereas, uncool, um, yeah, taste is an issue with Zappa, and yeah, obviously, I mean, just look at that moustache. Obs- you know, obsession with, <laughs> yeah, yeah, obsession with pastiche as well. Like McCartney was, yeah, it's kind of about pastiching. But things. then, weirdly, I am more of a beef heart, beef heart person than a Zappa person. So that's that's me too, definitely. That I, yeah, yeah. And when it's that way round. But I think that's the amazing mm. thing, isn't it? I mean, if you were to if you had to sort of you know be reductive about it it is the fact that those two people are in the same band at the same time that makes the beatles yeah. the beatles and it's the um you know especially when they're writing together which they did you know less and less as it went on but that was mm. an interesting little thing that i was thinking about yesterday is would you if you could go back would you rather have had 10 more years of the beatles or would you rather have them left it there well, I think in many ways, the because Be- the Beatles story is so fascinating because they were doing so many things for the first time. So in terms of touring and playing concerts of that size and in terms of using the studio and in terms of trying to create their own management company, you know, obviously issues with copyright, kind of the boring stuff like that. So it would be interesting to see how the Beatles would function in a kind of in like let's say the 80s or the 90s when the music industry was at its most powerful let's say (laughs) or in the 70s even where there was that infrastructure to do big concerts with proper amplification and proper PAs and stuff Mm. you know and the potential to do shows like Genesis did with huge production values and hundreds of instruments 
because that was yeah. the whole thing. The Beatles stopped touring because they couldn't re- recreate what they were doing in the studio and they couldn't hear themselves. Mm. So I think it would be interesting to see how the Beatles would have dealt with the infrastructure of the 70s of the music industry. Yeah. I can't because imagine they would have it, been able to, to tour. Can't no, I mean, it would Wembley it doesn't really yeah, sit in my mind. It would be shit, actually. The more I say <laughs> it, the more crap it would be. Yeah. But, like, I mean, that's why... The, I think it's it's best left as it is because it's kind of perfect, isn't it? But that 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 would be a kind of interesting yeah angle. I, I guess. think I kind of agree. Yeah, that's interesting. But the point, the problem is, it, it's the Beatles were of their time and place. So if they'd have done that in the eighties, it wouldn't be the Beatles, really, would it? It would it would be a different band. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Well, you unless know they I mean? were like the Stones and just sort of kept on playing rock and roll music kept going <laughs> another 70 yeah. years or whatever it is i mean yeah i just can't imagine it <laughs> no, i think definitely there's probably when you listen to the solo records that they all put out immediately after the beatles there's definitely one more absolutely superb record in there yeah but then they're all yeah. so you know they're all just a bit about how they fucking hate each other so i don't know how that would have worked yeah. <laughs> I mean, even Devil Fantasies is is basically an '80s album, and it's also really mm. bad. Yeah, he really um, some of his later output before he did his sort of stay-at-home dad stuff is there's the odd track like um, Mind Games and stuff. But everything on that record yeah. is pretty dross. It's almost mm. incredible that such a genius can write such a poor album. Um, yeah. But then he was a dick. And he could be incredibly sentimental as well, couldn't he? And, and like, you know, as obviously Paul gets the uh, the stick for being the kind of sentimental one, but some Lennon stuff is so mawkish. Yeah, yeah. Well, Imagine, for example, is just, it's just, just you know, a bit. Yeah, a bit. it is. It's, <laughs> it's very sort of middle class hippie crap music. Yeah. It? I mean, yeah. It's the, I think it's one of the worst tracks on that record. Yeah, I love the album. Yeah, imagine. the album is brilliant, amazing. And if yeah. you could, how do you sleep? It's so good. I find it difficult, man. Yeah, like <laughs> I, it's so so nasty. It's and so when mean, you yeah. watch the documentary um, of the making of it, and you just see, the, have you seen the documentary? Um, yeah, you know, when he's yeah. got when he's talking to Harrison and he's playing him the song. And you can see this mm. look of like manic glee on his face when he's talking about like how nasty it is. And then really there's unpleasant. that take where he's like, How do you sleep, you cunt? <laughs> screaming it down the microphone. You're just like, Mate, yeah. for fuck's sake. Yeah, chill, yeah. Out. chill out. For God's sake. He's nice. He's a nice, sake. chubby, cheeky, chubby Paul. Yeah. Well, they, they loved each other, really. So, my question. It's a kind of, uh, I suppose, an abstract sure, one, okay. really. But um, my question is: Did the Beatles exist? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so what I mean, <laughs> what I mean by that, I don't mean in the sense of the Yesterday film of, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, imagine a world where the Beatles didn't didn't exist, mm. etc. But sometimes I listen. I'm listening to the Beatles and I'm reading about the story, and it's all so good, and the narrative is so extraordinary. The pace. Yeah. That it, something seems completely unreal about it. And it's almost nice to imagine that the Beatles were actually a government conspiracy to promote, you know, a sense of goodwill <laughs> in the post-war era. There wouldn't have been a 60s without the Beatles. Yeah, yeah, right? definitely not. But there wouldn't have been the Beatles without the 60s, if you see what I mean. Sure, yeah. So, like, they, it's kind of this this incredible growth that we you saw in all kinds of cultural directions was um, 
you know, because of the Beatles, you know, the Beatles were part of it, but it was kind of because of the Beatles as well. They started this kind of a, a new sense of kind of, uh, I don't know, yeah. technicolor kind of expression, I suppose. So, so you know, it's, it's and it's like, I, for, I was, this kind of goes back to what I was saying about their hair growth, <laughs> but like, let's look at the White Album just for a second. Yeah. What I don't understand about the White Album was up until then there'd been a few kind of acoustic songs on albums and stuff, right? Like there'd been a, you know, they often got the acoustic guitar out. Yesterday's kind of a nice thing, but on the White Album they're all like amazing finger picking guitarists all yeah. of a sudden. The prof- it's like extraordinary the, the proficiency of John Lennon's guitar playing on that record. I mean, you're a guitarist as well. You'll know if you've ever played something like. Um, Julia and the, yeah. some of the chord yeah. shifting stuff and the finger picking is like when did you yeah. learn to do that because you haven't been doing yeah, that right for, on any other record Prudence is really hard. Yeah. Um, happiness is a warm gun. It's got lovely finger picking. And then Paul McCartney, obviously, you know, Mother Nature's yeah. son, Blackbird, are just lovely, like beautiful folk, uh, folk guitar playing. Yeah, it's almost like it's almost like they were too good. Yeah, it's all very I mean? convenient, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, but they were too good because they were the Beatles. Yeah, so it's this kind of like uh, this synchronicity between the culture that created the Beatles and the Beatles themselves. It's like they got that good because they were the Beatles. Yeah. You know? The slip up in their cover story, uh, if it is indeed a government conspiracy, is the, yeah. is the sort yeah, of yesterday sure. thing falling out of the sky. Um, yeah. Because they're full of That's like too... sort of serendipitous moments where it does yeah, seem yeah. a little bit too neat. You know, I can see just about see how the timing of uh, four people meeting each other at, at that time, but it seems to be all yeah. the drugs turned up at the right place. They went to all the right parties, met yeah. all the right people, and also just encapsulated that sort of narrative of being sort of, you know, a working class, upwardly, you know, the, it's the decade of social mobility and it's the decade yeah. of, uh, you know. And it's so, it's like, and, and so much of it, you can, like, so I was reading the other day, this is in Dreaming the Beatles. The, the, this thing of um, John and Paul, uh, when they were learning the guitar, they they knew a few chords, but they heard there was a guy across town who knew how to play B7. Yeah, yeah. And so <laughs> they got, they got, got the a bus. bus. And they got on the bus to meet the guy. And nowadays, of course, you just Google the uh, the bus timetable, wouldn't you? And, and then head off on the bus <laughs> to get your B7. But the, um, the, there's so much, that's so rich in symbolism, isn't it? As a, as a post-war culture, you're like, you're, you're kind of looking you know you've got kind of your two chords and you're moving away and trying to get the third yeah. chord and then every, everything is expanding and and you know you're finding out more information is growing across the world you know i'm not making i'm not trying to say the 60s were all this incredible time because mm. obviously it wasn't it was horrific and there was so much yeah. shit going on but um you know th- this idea of youth culture growing and of pop music being created and rock being created and art being created was just completely expanding at this unbelievable level. Yeah. And it was like the Beatles were the were the kind of like the, they're the little narrative of that actually happening in real time. Yeah, and it's all documented which is, on record. So it's yeah. really, I mean, that is the staggering thing that. So how can you go in ten years from like learning the third chord and having to get a bus to find yeah. it? 
to find to, write, it, to like making yeah, Abbey Road, Abbey Road side B, and she never gives you your money yeah. and stuff. It's, I mean, yeah. compared, I mean, certainly from a musician's point of view, uh, when I think about what I was doing ten years, <laughs> ten years ago, I don't, yeah. don't think it's quite that dramatic. <laughs> it's not that, not that scale. Yeah. It's not the same scale. But it's, it's. I mean, it's massive. I mean, like the thing I always think, and as you get older, you think when when George Harrison started you know he was 17 yeah and was only Wasn't 27 like 20... when it stopped yeah that's which is absolutely which is that frankly disgusting <laughs> it is it's depressing yeah. it's bleak uh, so he's pretty yeah 10 years <laughs> younger than me when he finished the beatles almost <laughs> yeah. god That was the introductory episode of Your Own Personal Beatles, which was very nice to listen back to and our formative experiences gropingly. <laughs> I don't know why he's the word groping. Uh, we were just getting to know each other. I think that was the vibe. Yeah. Um, yeah, listening back to it, it felt like it had been recorded a year ago. We've lived in such strange times. but uh... Yeah, it was extremely hot that day. And it, uh, there have been different phases of lockdown, haven't there? There have been... It's been a true, a true dystopia, hasn't it? There was a kind of the normal people phase. Do you remember when everyone was watching normal people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That and, seems like uh, a long time ago. Yeah. And then, you know, there was the Tiger King phase. Yeah. And now we're very much <laughs> in the I may destroy you phase. And they're all different epochs, aren't they? You know? Yeah. It's quite a good way to sort of book, bookmark the yeah. <laughs> people's collective viewing habits, which everyone yeah, the, said was a thing of the past. Yeah. The things we've kind of been watching to kind of distract from yeah. feelings of doom. I think the other thing that I've found really interesting since um, we started, when, when we recorded that episode quite a long time ago, is I've been very saturated in the Beatles since then. We've been talking to all these amazing guests and um, yeah, I went back and read a little bit of uh, Ian McDonald's book and stuff and you just realise when you're sort of hyper aware of it, every encounter that um, I run into with the Beatles on a day-to-day life it's just extraordinary how many times. I don't know if it's one of those serendipitous things, like when you learn a new word and you hear it all the time. Um, but it's just, yeah, those, the, the Vodafone adverts got come together on it. I was watching Alan Partridge this morning, he talks about it. Yeah, I don't know as well if it's the algorithms listening as well, because on Instagram I just seems to get constant Beatles kind of recommended posts and things like that. Or, you know, you might like this... <laughs> £20,000 guitar from the 60s that was touched by George Harrison. Yeah, my YouTube, but, uh, <laughs> uh, my YouTube recommendations are pretty much 100% Beatles. Yeah, but um, and, and since we posted the trailer as well, I had lots of people getting in touch. Like uh, my friend Kimberly sent me a link to a BBC Storyville documentary called How the Beatles Rocked the Kremlin, which I'm going to oh, watch yeah, later yeah. this week. Have you seen that? I've seen it, yeah, it's great. It's kind of it's about how Beatles, the Beatles won the Cold War. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So Which that's going to be it. Yeah, and that, well, that could be um, another one to discuss in an upcoming uh, Definitely. conversation of why did the Beatles really exist. Yeah, indeed. So thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week with a, a very exciting guest. And as always, you can follow us on all of the social media things. And if you want to get in touch, or maybe you could suggest someone whose personal Beatles you would like to hear for us to try and get in touch with, um, you can email me on jack at homespunsounds.com or you can go to personalbeatles.com forward slash contact. See you next time. 
Your Own Personal Beatles is presented by Jack Pelling and Robin Allender. The podcast artwork is done by Morgan Ritchie. It's produced by me, Jack Pelling, and is a Homespun Sounds production. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.